September of 1967, a young, later-to-be senator, John McCain, was shot down over North Vietnam. As his plane spiraled to earth, <clears throat> he actually hit the plane on his way out uh, from the having ejected himself. He ended up breaking his left leg in one place, I'm sorry, his left arm in one place, his right arm in three places, and injured his right knee. However, he fell into safety as he landed in a small lake, small, shallow lake. It didn't take long, however, for the villagers around to take note of him. Soon a crowd gathered, and some men went out into the lake and pulled him out, and they began then to beat him. However, a while later, an army truck showed up, hauled him away, and took him where he would spend the next five years as a POW. In his book, The Faith of Our Fathers, McCain tells his story of those years as a prisoner of war, and it's every bit as harrowing as one would imagine. However, McCain had a few things going for him. Number one, he was strong, fit, well-trained, but he also had a very strong faith in God, and he had a deep love for his country. Also waiting for him at home was his wife and his daughter, the little girl. In those years of captivity, however, he says that the number one thing that kept him alive were his fellow POWs. There were about 80 of them in total placed at a POW camp called the plantation. Though originally the guards kept them very separated, over time the restrictions were lifted little by little and the men be, began to be able to communicate to one another, generally through uh, passing of notes. But as they got to know one another, they began to depend upon each other. As McCain writes in his book, of all the activities that I designed, devised to survive my experience, nothing was more beneficial than communicating with the other prisoners. It was simply a matter of life and death. McCain said one thing they did was every night, each of them, before they went to sleep, they would recite the other prisoners' names, the other POW, uh, their names, and pray for them. McLean penned in his book, Knowing these men in my prison and being known by these men in my prison affirmed our humanity and kept us alive. McCain's testimony here highlights a very important biblical truth, simply that God has hardwired us into each other. 
God has hardwired the human heart for relationships. He has deemed it's not good for man to be alone. He has ordained his people to live in a community called the church. And he has called us to love one another, to care for one another, and to serve one another. Paul said in Galatians 6, 2, that if we bear each other's burdens, that we literally fill full the law of Christ. Now, think just a minute about what he's telling us. In loving and caring for one another, we fill up all of the laws of God. Now, <clears throat> you've probably heard that the uh, religious people of Jesus' day and on through the years, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, that they compounded the laws of God with a bunch of crazy man's laws. But in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the books that Moses wrote, there are 613 commands of God, not of man. 613 commands of God in the Torah, the first five books. And Paul says that we complete them all. That we fulfill them all by caring for each other by serving each other, by bearing each other's burdens. Now, <clears throat> the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the description of agape love, the love of God. What really is the love of God? How is it distinctive? How does it compare and contrast with what we see in the world and even how we interact at times? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. In this section of Scripture, there are 14 descriptions of love. Now, I think I told you last week there were 15. And 15 is the generally accepted uh, number given the descriptions of love in these passages. However, uh, the way I'm grouping them, we're going to call them 14. There are six positive statements about love, and there are seven negative comments about love. And then there's one that I've categorized by itself that is actually what we're going to look at today that has both plus and minus 
regarding love. A positive statement and a negative statement. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to pull them apart. So I'm putting these together. We're talking about <clears throat> verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Please hear this morning this truth of God. When Paul begins to try to describe agape love, he begins with the positives. Love is patient. It suffers long. Love is kind and good and generous. And then he goes into a, a group of seven negative descriptions of love. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, and it thinks no evil. And we're going to look at these. But this morning... We're going to focus on verse 6. This is the oddball statement. Six positive, seven negative, and one with both. Both a positive and a negative aspect of love. But what these are are different sides of the exact same coin. Love rejoices not in unrighteousness. Love rejoices in truth. Now, Paul is pointing out, please hear me this morning, because Paul is pointing out something that we cannot miss when it comes to the love of God. Because whether we're talking about the way God loves us the way God loves through us. We're talking about a marital love. We're talking about a parent-child love. We're talking about a congregational love, a Christian love. This statement impacts the character of the love of God because this statement speaks of the literal underpinning of the love of God. It, it speaks to the very foundation of the love of God. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in truth. An easy illustration of the point that Paul is making is Matthew 7, 24 through 27 the house that is built upon a rock versus the house that is built upon the sand. Here, Paul uses this, I'm sorry, Jesus uses this metaphor of a house built on a rock or a house built on sand. He uses this to draw a sketch in our minds to paint a picture so that we can envision and see and understand. Isn't that a cool picture? I love that. <laughs> uh, to, to get this metaphor in our mind about what he's talking about when it concerns the truth of God. 
The truth of God is foundationally the rock we build our house upon, and anything other than the truth of God is foundationally what people build a house upon sand. He's trying to help us understand the distinction, the difference, the divide between the love of God having baseless foundation. I'm sorry, not the love of God, just love having a baseless foundation or the love of God having the foundation of God's truth. A life built upon the truth of God, a love built upon the truth of God, or a life and love built upon anything else. This is where, <clears throat> now hone in, this is where the world misunderstands agape love. The world thinks that love is defined as full acceptance of everybody and anything. They believe that to deny anyone any impulse or any desire is to be unloving, unfair, mean-spirited, or spiteful. The, the world refused to understand the parallel between uh, choices and consequences. But in the end, Jesus says, promises, that only the house built upon the rock of the truth of God will stand. What the world fails to understand is that agape, listen, agape love, God's love, is not unconditional in all matters. It is not conditional in all matters. Instead, agape love is unconditional in its offer. Agape love, unconditional in its offer. John 3, 16, we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is saying the love of God is universal and that God gave his Son for all humankind and that no one on this earth needs to be punished in eternal retribution for his or her sins. That the ticket to heaven's eternity has already been printed. But, just as the love of God is unconditional in its offer, the love of God is conditional in its effect. Hang with me and hold tight. Staying with John 3, 16. 
God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who benefits now from Jesus' death and resurrection? If Jesus has printed the ticket to go to heaven, who benefits from that? Everybody? In, in, in the whole world? Who benefits from that? No, agape has conditions in its effect, its impact upon people's lives. It's not anybody and everybody. That's called universalism. It is, as stated in the Scripture, whosoever will. So the love of God in offer, opportunity, is open to all. But its effect upon our lives is conditional with regard to whosoever will. Let me ask you a question. If someone in our country or the world or someone's plural decides in their own minds that something is right, does that make it right? What if a group of someone's come together and they decide that we believe this is right. Does that make it right? What if there is a majority opinion in our country that something is right? We believe this is the way we ought to go. Does that then make that right? Because you see, the love has to have the foundation to it. And Jesus is saying that the foundation of agape love is not unrighteousness. It is not iniquity. It is the holy truth of God. I know there's no question that today is unlike any other day that we've ever experienced <clears throat> in our country. Political battles, war, wars of words, unrest, uncertainty, violence, evil seems to capture every news cycle. And it causes us some very real emotions very strong emotions of fear and distrust. We know that the culture today is slanted against us. We fear reprisals, if not physical, yet certainly cultural and spiritual. We, in fact, fear the world our children and grandchildren are going to have to grow up in. But what we must remember despite cultural change, despite what someone's think, 
despite even where the majority might go. There is one thing that won't ever change. The truth of God. Just last week, someone told me about a pastor. I don't even know his name. And this pastor had a son who told his dad that he thought he was gay. And uh, years passed, and the son decided to marry with a gay wedding. The pastor uh, began then to teach in his church that gay marriage was okay, that God permitted this perversion to be uh, uh, accepted and loved and embraced. Now, please understand two things before I go any further. Number one, I do not know this man nor his name. I am not in any way trying to Uh, judge him other than to just state fact in this story. Secondly, this is not a treatise on homosexuality. Uh, I'm I'm not covering that subject. It is just a side note in this story. But this man changed his theology. He changed his belief system And he lost his ministry. Now, again, what I need to point out is that my belief is that this pastor father might have shown phileo love. Remember what phileo is? It's brotherly kindness. Or he might even have shown his son storge love. You remember what storge is? Family love. Family connections. But what I don't think he showed him was agape. Because agape is built upon the truth of God. Therefore, whoever builds their life and family upon the solid rock, the words of God, the truth of Jesus, will have the ability to weather the storms of life. Whoever builds their home and their family upon a sand foundation, anything other than the words of Jesus and the truth of God, they will fall. Early on in in our marriage, and I actually thought, Pam was going to be in Amarillo this weekend. But early on in our marriage, uh, at our first church, some of our best friends lived next door. They were in their 80s. We were in our mid-20s. And uh, we had a great time together. They actually uh, owned some land outside of town. And Mr. Smith and I used to go dove hunting, quail hunting out there. Well, for whatever reason, one day the girls wanted to come. And uh, so... <clears throat> we uh, got all of our guns together and, and went out to his place. I gave Pam 
an old 410 shotgun. It was a gun I'd grown up with. I loved the gun. And because it was <clears throat> a shotgun, I wanted it to be the smallest shotgun uh, because she, the only thing she'd ever shot before was a 22. So we go out there. Pam and I uh, get out of the car, and I'm starting to walk up this little rise. Pam's about maybe 10 yards behind me, and right as I start to top this little rise, a dove flies right over my head. Well, I holler at Pam, shoot him, honey, shoot him. And so she raises the gun up and fires, and I kind of I start laughing because the dove's up there and she's shooting down there. And but then she she kneels down to the ground. And I go over and look at her, and she's got blood coming out of her mouth, and she's cut her thumb. And I said, Honey, what happened? And she says, Well, I just shot the gun. And I said, But you didn't shoulder it. You shot it out here, pulled the trigger, kicked back, and hit her in the mouth. Here's my point. I know. I know. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, really, I didn't think she was going to be here. So, <clears throat> um, My point is this. If the way you love isn't shouldered up to the truth of God. You're building a foundation of sand. Remember the old song on Christ the solid rock? My hope is built on nothing less. Please sing with me. I'm going to listen to myself. On Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Stand with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Thank you for joining us for this Highland Sermon from Dr. Johnny Funderburg. If you live in the Clovis, New Mexico area, we'd love to have you join us one Sunday at 10 a.m. We are located at 2201 North Main Street in Clovis. For more information about our church, visit highlandclovis.com. And to let us know a little bit more about you, choose the Connect tab and click on our online visitor card. You can also submit your prayer requests under the Connect tab. Lastly, follow us on Facebook at hbc.clovis to keep up to date with our announcements, events, and online services.